Happy Wednesday, everybody. Lynn Dunn is here to talk, of course, about the Indiana fever that she is building, but also about a player she knows a little bit about in Sue Bird. She, of course, drafted Sue. Lockdown Women's Basketball starts now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hi there and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal. Reminding you, you can follow us at Locked On WBV or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube, anywhere you listen. Make sure you're hearing us every single weekday. And when I say us, it's not just me. It's our entire team over at The Next, thenexthoops.com, where we have over 100 reported pieces on women's basketball every single month. And a lot of them get generated by my guest. Um, I, if you'll forgive me, a point of personal privilege, Lynn Dunn, who is the GM of the Indiana Fever, is somebody who I always learn from when I speak with her. And so I am delighted uh, that you're joining us today on the podcast, Lynn. It, it, I, you know, I remember we were talking a little bit off the air about last night. How, how was last night for you? Where were you? What was, what was it like for you as you were kind of processing everything we saw out of that doubleheader game force? Well, first, Howard, let me thank you for all you do to promote our sport. I mean, there, I don't know of anyone 24-7 uh, covering the WNBA, covering women's basketball, and I just want to make sure you know how much we appreciate everything that you do. You. Now, back to last night, um, I started the evening with a little pre-show pre with Carolyn um, and Monica, and I, that got me all fired up because those two are, are great. Um, I had been uh, anticipating um, a, a really good game uh, between Connecticut and, um, and the sky. You know, I know Connecticut was disappointed. I know they were discouraged about their last game performance. But I think they also knew all we have to do is hit those shots in the paint. Mm -hmm. And so they really didn't change anything they did. They just kept attacking the paint. And they did a really, really, really good job attacking the double team. I thought the, the, the diver from the back uh, coming down low and then dropping the ball and getting those layups was, was really a great adjustment. And then I was curious to see how Chicago would adapt to that, and it didn't seem like they ever really did, and then the game was out of hand. So that was a that was a, that was a – I, I love the fifth game. Yeah. As fans, we're thrilled that there's a fifth game. I Unfortunately, the Seattle game didn't go that way, and we, we don't get a fifth game. It was interesting. So I was there live for Sky Sun, and the thing I'm most curious about, and you talked about, you know, making that counter-adjustment, was that play there for the Connecticut Sun in games one and three, and they just weren't deploying that, uh, that secondary action? Or was this more a question of that the sky was not making the proper defensive rotations in the way they had in games one through three? You know, what were you seeing there? Yeah, I think it was a combination. I, I, I don't think this, the, this, the, um, the Sun uh, attacked the double like they sh should have in, in, in the game before because they just watched. They watched the double 
and wondered what the player that was getting doubled was going to do instead of the backside. I mean, that's kind of a rule in basketball. If there's a double, the backside's going to dive or cut to the rim, mm-hmm. um, and everybody has to re- relocate. And I thought uh, Connecticut did a great job in doing that. And then, then I was surprised that Chicago's near man did not cover the diver. It's almost like they watched the diver dive get the layup and just look around at each other like, okay, who's going to take her? Mm-hmm. So that was a great adjustment um, uh, by Connecticut. And it'll be interesting in the fifth game to see what Chicago does to counteract that. And because they're going, double, oh, they're going to double John Paul Jones. Mm-hmm. I, and less than 48 hours to do it along with the trip back to Chicago. It, it is a fascinating matchup and very hard to handicap. Do you think you have a team with a natural advantage here going into game five? Obviously it's Chicago's opportunity to make a counter. You're playing in front of your home fans, but that has been seemingly of limited utility here in the semifinals uh, on both sides. It seemed to have four very evenly matched teams. Well, that home crowd, that home court advantage, don't underestimate the value of it in a very close series. They're very, it's a very close series could go either way. Um, so I would have to give the edge to Chicago because they're back home. At least Howard, they're pissed off. Uh, I can see some of the looks on some of their faces. They were stunned um, at the aggressiveness of um, Connecticut last night. But I'm not surprised. Their backs are against the wall. They were desperate. Uh, they look like a desperate team. And now we'll see a desperate Chicago tomorrow. You know, it's a Thursday night. Thursday night we'll see a desperate Chicago because, you know, that, that their backs are against the wall now. It is going to be fascinating. Do you have a strategy in mind? You've, you've had uh, plenty of opportunities here to play these types of games, a strategy that you try to impart to your players. Do you try to t- tamp down the stage? Do you try and play up the stage? How do you tend to handle that when you're in a locker room in a scenario like that? Well, I think you just have to keep doing what got you here. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, you look where you are. You're, you're one game from the final. So you don't want to tweak too much. You just want to be able to counter or adjust to whatever the opponent's throwing at you. Mm-hmm. Keep doing what got you here. Keep, keep, keep going down to the paint. That's Connecticut's game. Um, you know, keep isolating John Quill Jones down there. Keep getting her touches. Um, and, and then with, with the, uh, with Chicago, uh, I just thought they came out lethargic. You know, they, they didn't seem – I don't know if they thought the series was over, but their energy level was low uh, from top to bottom. I didn't see anybody fired up. I didn't see anybody aggressive. And so they're going to have to reboot their mentality. It was surprising to me. A championship team uh, – and James Wade talked about the – they did not have the same level of intensity that Chicago did when we talked to them post game. And, and that, that was, that was self-evident, but it was a shocking thing for me to see from them. So I, I'm fascinated by it. I, I, I know also, you know, and people who are far removed from the events last night in Seattle and the people involved were still uh, emotionally affected by seeing what was ultimately Sue Bird's final game. Uh, you are not uh, so far removed from that as the person responsible for bringing her to Seattle. And I just, I just wonder for you, take me through how you process that and uh, what that experience was seeing the end of an era that, you know, I believe we'll never see again. 
well, it was, it was, it was tough, you know, like I, I, you know, I don't mind admitting that I was pulling for the storm, you know, um, Sue Bird, uh, uh, is someone I drafted, someone I, I followed her entire career, uh, Brianne January, are you kidding me? She's on the team too. So, um, and then, then, then Ebony Hoffman's over there that I coached over the bench. So there's a lot of ties for me in Seattle. Um, I, I was pulling for Seattle and I, I thought they competed at a very high level, but at the end of the day, Chelsea Gray, oh my goodness. Um, I've never, 52 years I've been involved in the women's game, in the game of basketball, college, pro, NBA, men, women, FIBA, whatever, Olympics. I've never seen anything like what Chelsea Gray is doing in these playoffs. It's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Her level of efficiency out of the point guard position uh, in terms of effective field goal percentage, true true field goal percentage, whatever you want to use, is off the charts, like you said, for uh, the WNBA or the NBA playoffs. Historically, is it simply a question of the Aces having so much offensive talent in that starting five that defenses and the center of gravity needs to account for too many things and so you combine that with Chelsea's uh size and you know her efficiency was already really strong and it just makes for a potent combination of the likes we haven't seen well her size her ability to pass the ball her ability to handle the basketball her ability to pass out of a trap her ability to read switches and know who's on her and who's on other people I mean she's playing at such a high level in so many areas that it's 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 amazing to see and then in crunch time three two one the clock's running down and she puts up a long three that just drains the net um and, and let's give see they tried everybody on there uh, everybody on the team uh, tried to guard her and and they trapped her and they i mean i i don't know of anything else that they could have done uh, to slow her down that they didn't do um but you're right when they go small, when Las Vegas goes small, and now they have five shooters out there, they can spread the floor. Who do you help from? You kick to Jackie Young, three. You kick to Plum, three. You kick to Rakuna Williams, three. Asia Wilson's down in the uh, on the block. You know, it's just very, very difficult to defend that Vegas team when they go small. Yeah, and, and even Asia's hitting threes now. It's just they can. That's right. Anyone's a threat from anywhere. And, 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 that, and that's the way our game's going, uh, Howard. Right. This is not accidental. You know, the fact that that, uh, that that Vegas is where they are right now, the way they're, the way they're playing, the style they're playing, uh, some people call it small ball, some people call it positional, positionless basketball. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's the future of our game. So I want to get into that, and especially as it applies to the – fascinating roster that you are currently constructing. Um, but just before we, before we leave on Seattle, Sue Bird leaving this game in that final moment, she's in tears, you know, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about specific moments that you had with her uh, through the years as you're, as you're watching that, you know, how do you process that? Yeah. Well, I love the fact that she took the time. She started to leave and then she came back. Mm -hmm. and, and I think she came back because of the type person that Sue is. She came back to say thank you one more time. 
because uh, the city of Seattle, uh, the Seattle uh, Storm franchise, uh, the fans, uh, she's beloved. And she came back to say thank you and to let them know how much um, she had appreciated their support all these years. Um, and, and it was a moment for her, I think, to, to be sad and happy at the same time. Mm -hmm. Sad that it's over, sad that I won't be here doing this anymore, but happy that I had this experience. You could just kind of feel it. Those were happy tears in my mind. Um, and I love the fact that she stayed out there and she said thank you. Um, and she waved to the, her fans one more time. But I think as she walked off the court, now Sue's walking into her next career. Mm -hmm. And I think she's got a plan. And I think we're all going to be excited where she uh, where she ends up next. It, it is going to be fascinating. Look, she even owns uh, a soccer team up in uh, my neck of the woods here in Jersey. So it, yeah, what, well, what, I love yeah. her coach. I, I think she has a brilliant mind. And, and Sue will be the first one to tell you that she wasn't the fastest. She wasn't the tallest. She wasn't the quickest. But in my mind, she was always the smartest. Mm -hmm. And so she used her mind and she used her heart um, to achieve all of the things that she's achieved. And um, in my mind, she's, she's the greatest point guard I've seen play male or female. You know, they talk about who's the greatest point guard in New York. Well, they were talking about the guys I'm talking about the greatest point guard period. Yes. Um, tell me someone that has achieved more than she has uh, at all levels, uh, college, high school, college, pro Olympics, you name it. She's at the top of the top. And, uh, uh, we're all intrigued about what her next uh, endeavor will be. You know, will it be behind the scenes in management or will it be in the front of the scenes coaching a team? We'll see. Well, I that happens to be a perfect segue because I have heard that uh, you have um, a coach opening. <laughs> so uh, have you reached out to Sue about it? And, and, and I'm curious, just even more generally beyond Sue herself, because, you know, I would imagine she needs a little time to process anyway uh, after last night. But just more generally, the point you made about the positionless league that we are headed toward, and it's undoubtedly true. It's certainly a Seattle one in 2020. It's 100 percent how Washington won uh, in 2019. And, you know, now we're seeing, you know, Vegas with the opportunity to do that potentially here in 2022. How much are you looking for a coach to implement such a system? I'm looking right down that path. I, I mean, I, I'm one of those people, you know, uh, the great thing about basketball is it's okay to steal and copy what your opponent does. You know, in the corporate world, that's, you know, that's illegal. But in the basketball world, um, you look over there and say, okay, what have the last four championship teams done and how have they played? And I, I, I know that's how I want to play. I want to play that way. That's the direction I want to go. That's the type of team that I'm going to build. Um, and you mentioned Sue as far as coaching. I didn't think it was appropriate to reach out to her during the playoffs. Sure. But I, I can assure you, uh, now that her season is over, I will reach out to her just to make sure um, where her interest is as far as coaching, because I believe she would be a fantastic coach. You know, there's there's a reason why Becky Hammond is so good. You know, she was a tremendous point guard. Uh, there's a reason why Sue would be a great coach, because she's a tremendous point guard and she sees the game. Um, but my understanding is she may want to take some time off just to recover, rest, maybe a year from now, but right now I've got to focus on finding a coach in the next month mm 
mm-hmm. to take over this franchise and lead us back to the playoffs. And so when you when you think about that, you know, obviously there's been a lot of trend lately, like you said, towards former players coaching. Um, you said you say a month, which um, sounds like a logical time frame. I assume you're thinking of that relative to things like the draft lottery coming up and being able to have everyone on the same team uh, as while you're evaluating him into the college season. Is that is that kind of your your on ramp for this? Yes, Howard. I, you know, I think it's, uh, it would be in our benefit to have a head coach in place uh, sometime early October, mid-October. Now she and I are connecting. We're getting on the same page about how we're going to evaluate um, the college players. You know, I wanna, we want to watch practices. We want to watch those early games. There's some great early games. So we want to kind of get in our mind, you know, in my mind, we have the first pick and the seventh pick. I'm counting on that lottery ball falling where it's supposed to. Um, So we've got to really evaluate um, that situation Um, and then start to think about our core players, who we have that we want back. You know, who do do we look at at free agency? You know, we've got restricted and unrestricted free agents becoming available in January and just all of the preparation that goes into being the best team that we can be. And I think the key piece right now is who will lead this team? Mm -hmm. Who will the head coach be? And who will take us back to where we belong? Mm -hmm. And so I want to get into both the lottery itself, along with what's coming in. We're going to kind of map out uh, in light of uh, a tremendous rookie crop that you came in with this year. Uh, We are going to take a moment and talk about built bars, Uh, built bars, specifically the puffs have been the fuel that has allowed me to do things like uh, drive to and from Mohegan Sun Arena last night. Uh, There is a cookie dough chunk puff that I have on a regular basis. It's only 160 calories and 15 grams of protein. So I can uh, have the illusion that I have worked out on a day like that because I have eaten something healthy. So uh, go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED on 15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and and make sure that you get 15% off for listening to our show. And as always, listeners, tell them Grandma Myrna sent you. So, Lynn, the lottery, we were talking about this before we came on, right? It hasn't been kind, let me say it hasn't been kind to the Indiana Fever. Right, so they had to settle one year for uh, the the third overall pick with Tamika Catchings. It worked out okay, but we haven't seen the balls bounce the right way for that number one pick on a regular basis. You bring a pedigree of luck in lottery. So what are you doing? What are, you know, what is your good luck charm? What is your superstition? How are you getting the ping pong balls to bounce the right way? Well, Howard, it, it- to say that the lottery has been unkind to the fever is an understatement. Um, if I, if my stats are and my history is correct, I believe we are the only team um, for sure that's won a championship without a first pick. We may be the only team that's never had a first pick. So, so it, the only thing I can do is get the, as many balls as possible. You know what I'm saying? That that's I've learned that the more balls you have, the better chance you have. And so we have positioned ourselves in a situation where we have an enormous number of balls and opportunities. And that's pretty much all I can do. Um, but the good news is this is an excellent draft. I am very impressed 
already with uh, the top 12, the top 15. And so hopefully we'll get number one, but I'm, we, we can't get less than three. That's, mm. the, that's the rule. So there are at least three super picks. And so I'm, I'm not going to get too caught up. I'm not going to go into deep depression if we don't win the lottery, mm -hmm. because I know I'm going to get one of those top three that are awesome. And they're going to really help us grow those young rookies that we took last year to help us take that next step. And so, again, what's interesting to me also, when you look at a lot of the top of draft boards, and I'm, you know, I'm sure no different uh, with you guys, is that the players at the top of it, whether it's Haley Jones, whether it's Aaliyah Boston, are capable of playing that five-out style that we were just talking about. You know, players are being designed, developed for that. Aaliyah playing for Dawn uh, in South Carolina in particular, uh, Dawn makes a point of getting her players not just ready to win for her but ready to perform at the next level and so does that make things a little bit easier just that the game has evolved at the collegiate level as well as such that you're not necessarily choosing between styles as much as let's say we would have a few years ago where you would routinely see a traditional five among the group of people you were talking about in the five six seven uh top picks I think you're right, Howard, and I think what's happened is the way the game's changed at the pro level, the NBA and the WNBA has drifted down now to the college game, and, you know, you've got Vandiver and Stan at Stanford and Staley, like you said, at, uh, at South Carolina, and some of these other coaches are, are now allowing their bigs to have guards to work on their guard skills. They're also allowing their guards to work on post-up skills. So, so they're adding to their game, mm -hmm. and it's making the game so much better. And I look at some of – I mean, this is a draft with three, six, six bigs uh, that are going to go in the first round, and all of them have some perimeter skills. Mm -hmm. And so that's unheard of in our game. And so that, that's another sign of, of, of the growth and the development of, of, of this positionless basketball, this five-out four out, one in, constant moving. You know, last night, you never knew where uh, Brianna Stewart was going to be. I mean, was she in the right corner, the left corner, the top of the key, down on the post? Hard to guard because she's moving around. And I say, I think the days of the traditional low post, like a Sylvia Fowles, you know, down in the block, we always knew where she was. I think that it's, it's, it's passing us. It's passing us by. Look at the perimeter skills that John Paul Jones has, inside, outside, don't know where she is. Um, and so I, I, I think this draft, when I look at the, the players that are available, um, bigs and littles, both have multiple skills. And so as you think of that group of people uh, potentially to be added to this team and several coming your way, you're integrating them into a team that seemed to answer, to my mind, a lot of questions this past year. I know obviously the wins did not come. Um, that is always in my experiences covering teams been the last thing that comes into place. It's almost like the way a safe doesn't open until every number is correct. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're not making progress toward opening that safe. And uh, to me, a lot of that begins with what you got out in Alyssa Smith Right here in year one, uh, you know, Melissa, who seemed to get better as the year went on, is a big 
precisely in the way that we are talking about somebody who was more and more comfortable shooting the ball from beyond the arc in part because of what Nikki Collin did for and with her during her senior year at Baylor. Um, but did you feel as if in year one, you were getting what you expected out of Melissa Smith? And does she feel like a building block for you? You're going to be able to pair with Kelsey Mitchell for a long time to come. Well, we were really pleased, not, not only with Nalissa and her inside and outside skills, uh, her size, you know, just her athleticism, you know, sh she can run, she can rebound, she can defend, she can score. But we were pleased with all five of our rookies that we oh, took yeah. in the draft. Oh, well, you know? we're going to get to them, don't you? Yeah. Worry. And so I think they all complement each other with the direction that we want to go. And it was wonderful to see how, Melissa and Queen Egbo played well together. You know, that carried over from, uh, from their days at Baylor. Uh, but we just think, that, to be honest with you, I would love for Melissa to model her game after Asia Wilson. When Asia came out, you know, she only had a left hand. You know, she was down on the block a lot. And look where she is today. And so whenever I talked to Melissa, I said, there, watch her, watch her, follow her copy her. That's who you want to be year two, year three, year four. Mm -hmm. There's your role model. And because it's a perfect example of how you can start low and pull yourself all the way out. And, and, and actually, Melissa may be a little bit ahead of, of Asia year one, mm -hmm. because Asia was not shooting threes. Right. Year yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that's the other part of it is that Becky's been using her more as a five, you know, Bill, Bill Lambier was very committed to Asia as a traditional four. It was a different sort of system. It seems like in some ways that has unlocked what Asia is able to do. It does also, you know, it gives you, the, you guys the option because of Queen and what she's able to do to have a four out, to have a five out look. Is that, you know, something where you're just thinking in terms of matchups or uh, do you see Queen as somebody who ultimately has to, develop a, a more sophisticated perimeter game as well? Well, I think right now what we want Queen to do is be comfortable on the low block and, mm -hmm. and, and we can spread around her. But we also want her to be comfortable, you know, at the elbows. You know, we want her to be, you know, let's let's don't get too carried away too quick. Let's get really good at what you're good at. Let's continue to be a great rebounder, a tough defender, a rim protector. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll slowly grow your game. Uh, because we can we can play four out around you. You know what I'm saying? We can spread four shooters around you, um, and so you don't have to you don't have to spend all your time practicing the three right now. Let's slowly grow your game uh, because that complements what we want to do. In terms of M. Enschler, uh, you know the defense comes plug and play right away. What is your experience with how you develop somebody who's so advanced defensively, but who obviously, and by her, her own acknowledgement, has work to do on the offensive end? I love Emily Engsler. I can just tell you this. I love her energy. I love her effort. Yeah. I love her. I know there was some stats. Somebody said per minute play, she may be the best rebounder in the whole WNBA. Mm -hmm. um, so to be honest with you, I was disappointed that we did not play her more. I thought we limited her minutes. I thought she should have averaged 25 minutes a game. Um, you know, she she got better, but I think her her upside is huge. You know what I'm saying? She's tenacious. She's tough. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious 
uh, as, as we watch her grow, you know, can she play the four and the three? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Can she come out now and be um, um, a wing? That, that, that's something I'm curious about. Now, she's really smart. Um, she uses her head. She really knows the game. She has a real high basketball IQ. Um, and like I said, she loves defense. She loves hustle. Um, just thrilled with her. She has always been delightful uh, to cover as well, uh, but to, to watch is out there. Uh, and, and in much the same way, when you talked about minutes, the opportunity after injuries curtailed her for a lot of the year, but seeing Lexi Hull get those opportunities late, and I believe she was in double figures, uh, something like three of her last four games uh, in scoring in the regular season, you, in our conversations, never had any doubt Lexi's shot was gonna uh, was gonna translate very well. The the defensive intensity was gonna matter there. Did you see enough in those final few games to really get a sense of feeling like you know, all right, you know, this is somebody who is going to fill the role that I had in mind for her. Well, as I said after the draft, there's no way I was gonna let uh, Lexi Hall pass six because I knew somebody else was gonna grab her. Right. Uh, 6-1, plays with 24-7, defends, rebounds, runs, shoots, uh, high basketball IQ. You know, if, if anything, the, the only thing I think right now that's holding Lexi back, she's got to get stronger. Right. She's got to get physically stronger. Comes from one of the best programs ever, one of the best coaches ever in Stanford and Tara. So, um, you know, once again, I'm, I'm really high on Lexi. I mean, I'm, I'm high on all of them. You know, I'm high on Queen and Lissa and Emily. And, and then we'll get to Henny, Henny here in a minute. But um, uh, let's just remember, they're all just babies. Let's give them a chance. Let's give them a chance, you know, to grow up a little bit. But um, c- c- can't pass on Lexi and, and what she's going to do. And I love the fact she's decided not to go overseas. She's decided to stay in the States has already hired a personal trainer, you know, is working already, getting stronger, working on all the parts of her game. Uh, I'm a believer that that's how you get better. I'm not convinced you can go overseas and play over there and that makes you better. You know, that's that's a, a debate for another day, but um, I'm thrilled that she's investing in becoming the best player that she can be, but I'm not surprised. That's who she is. No, no, it's gonna be fascinating to see. And like you said, that jump from year one to year two, being able to process what you just experienced and then add strength in the process is going to be really interesting. That's, you know, and you mentioned Destiny Henderson. To me, what we saw from Henderson right away were the things you knew coming in. It's as much decision-making as anything else. Uh, Was that your impression? Is this somebody who you just feel like um, has the potential uh, maybe for you to be able to hand the keys to her uh, to be able to operate as as a primary one at some point very soon? Well, I think the interesting thing about Henderson coming out of South Carolina, she was really much perceived as a combo, maybe a two-one, not a true one. And the the, the great thing about Henny is she can score. I mean, we don't have to worry about that. She can get to the rim and score. She, for all the rookies, was by far the best three-point shooter, one of the top three-point shooters in the league. So she already has these offensive skills. It's just a matter of her now – having that mentality of how to run a team, how to run a pro team. And I think the physicality uh, obviously bothered her as it did all the rookies. There was no fear. That's what I, these five rookies had, there was no fear. They weren't afraid of, I'm not, 
who are you guarding tonight, Queen? Well, I'm guarding Sylvia Fowles. Are you worried? No, I'm not worried. There's no fear, but the physicality of it, you know, a 21-year-old body versus a 35-year-old body and yeah. vice versa. But I think Henny has a lot of potential. She was a surprise. We yeah. had no idea when we drafted her at 20 how good she could be. Um, and so the, uh, another great thing about her, Howard, is she's not going overseas. She is staying in the States, and she is investing in her game. Um, uh, and she's going to grow her knowledge and her skills and her strength. So we're we're getting near the end here because I've already taken up too much. It's already found it, Ian. I, 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 but it, like I said, it's always delightful. And so I guess, and and this is maybe a point of personal privilege again when I say this, but I was delighted to see that you signed on uh, for another year here as well. Um, you know, you've talked about this as an opportunity. Um, have you considered whether this can be something uh, that you see through uh, to the duration of a rebuild? Because this is a team that you are putting together uh, very much with the long term in mind. You are doing right by the organization. And is this something where it's your hope that we get to see it through? I, I certainly am uh, eager to see the results, the fruits of this labor uh, come to be. Mm -hmm. Well, when I agreed to do this, um, I, I basically said I will do everything within my power to get this franchise back on track. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you can see the path that I've decided to take just with a total rebuild, regut, gut it out, just like renovating a house, rebuild it with great young talent. Um, and, I, you know, I have a three-year plan. And in my mind, I have a three-year plan that can get us back into the playoffs. And once you get back into the playoffs, anything can happen. You know, just ask Chicago. Uh, so so I'm, I'm committed to doing whatever it takes over these three years. And I'm still just in year one uh, to get this done. And at the end of three years, if they're happy with what I'm doing and they want me to stay a little bit longer, great. If at the end of three years they're not happy and they want to try somebody else, that's fine too. Uh, I'm at a time in my life where all I really want to do is help the Fever franchise get back on track. You know, I, I love this franchise. I love the people. I love the history and the tradition. And there should not be a postseason WNBA playoff without the Indiana Fever participating. Well, obviously well on your way towards building just that. Uh, Lyndon, always grateful for your time. Uh, I know our listeners are as well. And uh, thank you to all who are listening. We will be back with you tomorrow. You get the opportunity to hear uh, from our staff as well throughout the rest of the WNBA playoffs. And then we just continue right through. And there is no off season at the next. So we're looking <laughs> forward to it. And we'll, we'll, we'll be talking soon. But thank you for your time. Thank you, Howard. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, go check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Lockdown Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Lockdown Bets, all combined into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with you tomorrow with James K of our Chicago Sky Beat over at the next, talking about a game five that should be for the ages. I'm Howard Magdal, wishing you a wonderful Wednesday.
You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.